Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. I'm going to be reading out of Isaiah 49, 1 through 16. It says, listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me, and he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, kings will arise, princesses will also bow down, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thus saith the Lord, in a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you, and I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritage, saying to those who are bound, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves along the roads they will feed, and their pasture will be on all bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will scorching heat or sun strike them down, for he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways will be raised up. Behold, these will come afar, and lo, these will come from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Can Can a woman forget her nursing child? And have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Um, So historically, um, we celebrate Mother's Day. um, And and what we've generally done here uh, at Open Door, and previously First Assembly in Pagosa, is that we've, we've just celebrated all women because we don't want to like discriminate against a woman who we dearly appreciate just because she hasn't actually bore biological children or anything like that. And, and I think there's, there's something about this. There's something about this as a reader of the Bible that frankly like one day a year isn't really enough. Like it seems, it seems silly because there's so much of the narrative of the scripture that seems to actually hinge on women. 
that it, it, it makes it kind of difficult when we tell these stories and we tell these stories over and over again and we're trying to get, gain wisdom and these kinds of things when we really miss out on a, a large chunk. And so I wanted, I wanted Tina to read that, that 16 verses. I actually initially told her to read the entire chapter, but um, also a gift to moms on Mother's Day is that you don't have to listen to me talk forever, that we can go home and you can eat lunch together and all those sort of things. So I wanted to look at this passage because it's really, um, it's really interesting to me. Um, if you guys know a little bit about um, Shelby and I's story, um, a few years ago, we were trying to go to the Middle East. We really felt like the Lord had called us there. We still feel like there's something that the Lord has, has happened in our hearts to go there and share the gospel. But I would send out letters, and I, I was calling everybody and, and trying to email everybody, trying to set up coffee with everybody, because moving to another country costs a lot of money. And, and by the Lord's grace, we want to partner with the church to do the work of missions. And so I was sending out letters all the time. And all of my letters ended with Isaiah 49.6, that it's too small of a thing for the Lord to set apart Jesus just to save the tribes of Jacob. And I, what, a, what a remarkable phrase. Like, it's too small. That's not enough. That the glory of the Lord demands that every person would see him, that every person would know him to the ends of the earth, as the language of the scripture describes it. And I think that's something that was so compelling to me. But this entire chapter is so profound. And as I was praying this week, I've actually had the, the unique honor to preach Mother's Day a few times. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if it, it was on purpose or it just happened like that. But um, so if this feels familiar, forgive me. If it doesn't, awesome. Um, this chapter uh, takes place in a period that we call the Deutero-Isaiah period. It's funny because um, Isaiah is this long, complicated, really important book that's quoted in the New Testament all the time. And yet, uh, we don't know as much about it as we like to. And I think there's something about uh, the way scholars break it down. They break it down into three chunks. There's first Isaiah, there's Deutero-Isaiah, and then Trito-Isaiah. And, and the reason that they break them up like that is because the themes of the book um, really vary wildly. That by the time we get to the second part of Isaiah, um, he's talking about things that won't happen for 100 plus years. And so the way that we try to explain that historically and, and with like scholars and, and Bible reading and good, good uh, hermeneutics is uh, he, it must have been somebody else that wrote the book. <laughs> like, because he's talking about things that are not even on the scene yet. He's talking about Babylon, which is a small, obscure country. He's talking about them being a superpower. And that won't happen for 100 plus years. And uh, so it either is this sort of collection of, of writings that, that all expand on the same thing under the umbrella of the prophet Isaiah, or he really just had that kind of prophetic insight, <laughs> that he was telling things that were way ahead of his time, that, that seemed impossible to happen. He was telling them in great detail. Regardless, this chapter functions in a, a direct historical context. That is Babylon coming from the north and, and really taking Israel and Judah to task for Years and years of idolatry and rebellion against God. But there's something that is so timeless about this passage. And I think it even was intentionally so. That it meant something to the people that were hearing it when it was written. But it still means something to us today besides just like Bible trivia facts that you can flex on your friends on Sunday lunch, you know. Like it, it speaks of this time of 
vulnerability, this time of weakness and hardship and oppression that is met by God with love, that is met by God with dramatic provision, where there is hopelessness, all of a sudden God is able to come in and fill that, that void with his own love, with his own provision, with his own strength. And that is something that I believe in varying degrees all of us can relate to. That there are times where there's just not enough. And, and, I, and I mentioned this last week um, when we were, when we were uh, sharing that um, there's something about this generation of the church that is trying to pretend like everything's okay and not realizing that story after story of the scripture is people confessing, I'm not okay. That there are things that are wrong and I'm hurting but I still trust the God of Israel. I still trust Jesus. I'm still going to persevere through the things, counting on God's faithfulness. And so God is replying to that time of hardship, that time of punishment and judgment, and even things that the nation rightfully deserved, and he's responding to it with his compassion. He's responding to it with his love. And I love it because there's this section right in the middle uh, the middle of the chapter, it's at the end of the section that we read together, that uh, you get this sort of invisible response. That this is something that Bible authors use all the time. It's not like they're recording a dialogue, but like they'll use this sort of didactic where they like, and then I know what you're thinking. Israel, when I say these kind of things, that I'm going to come in and every oppressor is going to be pushed away and you're going to be provided for, I know what you're thinking. And verse 14 says this, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. And take a, take a deep sigh if you've accidentally thought that in your life. Because I know for me, I, w- I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, my parents went to church, not even on Christmas. That was like the worst time to go to church because everybody was at church on Christmas. They went to church only for funerals. <laughs> and uh, and it, was, it was really hard because funerals are not like wow, church is really fun. God is really good. You know, like church, like funerals are really sad, you know? And most of the time it was people that I didn't even know. And it was, it was Catholic church and Latino church. And it was, uh, forgive me, kind of boring. And, and I didn't understand what was going on. And I didn't understand what, what I was supposed to feel. And so coming to this sort of realization that, that people will pretend like they're okay when they're not, I just want to give you permission to feel something this morning, that if you have been convinced of the truth of the gospel, that that Jesus is enough, but yet there are days, sometimes months, maybe years that you feel like God has forgotten about you, take a, a breath, take a sigh, because you're not alone. That, that they wrote it into the narrative of the scripture, not just in this story, it's all over the place, man, that I feel like you've forgotten. I heard your word. I heard that you said that you're going to come and you're going to do the, do the thing. You're going to do the impossible. I heard that, but I still feel like you're far away. I understand that I'm supposed to have faith and I'm supposed to have joy and I'm supposed to be really bubbly, I guess, if I'm a Christian, but I don't feel like that today. I don't feel like that uh, in the early 2000s. You know, I don't feel like that as, as a teenager in school. I don't feel like that as a person that, that feels like my career is going nowhere and I don't know how God gets glory out of my life. But the Lord responds with the most extreme metaphor I can think of. In verse 15, Isaiah 49, he says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? 
Can you imagine the mind of God with me for a second? That he's assuming this question that all of us, to some extent, have felt before, where it's like, God, I believe that you're good, but I feel like you're not close to me. I feel like you're not listening. I feel like I don't have an answer to all these questions and all these burdens. And he's like, how can I, how can I paint this picture for you? What's a good image that I can draw that will, that will help you to understand what I'm saying? And God pulls from his infinite wisdom and speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he says the most dramatic example of love that God can think of on earth, in the natural, is a mom. Take courage in that. Isn't that sweet? He doesn't say, the, 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 uh, like, will a father not forget to discipline his children? Like, he doesn't even bring up dads. You can look at it in the Hebrew. He's just talking about moms. I remember hearing a guy say, like, if you guys are familiar with, um, excuse me, Malachi, the very end of Malachi talks about hearts of fathers returning to sons and sons to fathers. I remember hearing this guy preach one time. He's like, why aren't moms included? Maybe because their hearts probably never left their kids and dads are the ones that need to get worked on. And I was like, wow, I don't know if that's necessarily good, like hermeneutics and Bible interpretation, but it hurts, you know, like, (laughs) so that means something. And I love this because he uses this example assuming that the hearers of this in the immediate context and also uh, like hundreds of years later, us, that we would think like, oh, of course. I've seen my mom be patient through so much personally. And it wasn't this perfect, beautiful experience, but she was patient and she loved me. And she, she endured so much for, for my sake and for my sister's sake. And it was so profound. And I talked to her this morning, and she's so sweet because she just lays on the guilt really thick. And she's like, it's always good to hear from you, Adam. You can call me whenever you want. And it's not that far away. You could come visit me. And I was like, I know. I just, the weeks go by, and I forget. And I'm, I live in Colorado, and none of my other sisters live in Colorado, so I don't have as much excuse as, as they do. <laughs> um, but I love this because it, it draws you to memories. And, and it's supposed to draw you to sweet memories of those times with your, with your mother or if you are a mom with your children, grandchildren, those kinds of things that you can recall like, man, if I were her, I would have given up. If I were her, I would have shaken the baby, so to speak. Like, if I were her, I would have been so livid. I would have lost it. I would, have, I would not have endured But somehow, by some strange, miraculous grace of God, she did it. And the Lord just reminds you, it's like, this is is the example I'm choosing to apply. That when you think about this, when you think about the Lord's apparent forgetfulness, when you think about his assumed distance, think about a mother. Even when you run away from her, you never stop being her, her, her son, her daughter. But... I'm not like so like twisted and say like my childhood wasn't perfect. Your childhood probably wasn't perfect. Maybe your childhood is perfect. Praise God. I pray that for my kids that they're like when people are talking about like trauma, they're like, I have no idea what that is. I just feel like everything is awesome all the time. I pray that for my children. I pray that for myself. Um, And so I'm not like so, so uh, deluded and, and like confused that to think like holidays like this maybe don't bring up sweet memories. Maybe they actually bring up negative experiences and they feel heavy on you to say like, that's a cute picture and I like it, but that's not my story. 
My relationship with my mother was not tender, patient, and compassionate. So sorry, I guess this sermon is not for me. But look at verse 15. Even these may forget that across the entire library of, of history, the Lord reaches to your hurt heart and says, don't worry, I didn't forget you in my metaphor. I understand that not every mother is perfect. This is a good metaphor, but all metaphors break down. This is a good example, but all examples are weak compared to the actual character of God. So he's saying, if, if this metaphor is lost on you and you're saying, like, I'm sitting next to my mom right now and I'm sweating, at her, like, because she's nudging me and she's like, see, it's in the Bible. And you're like, that's just not our story. That's just, maybe she's delusional enough to think that that's our story, but it's not our story. Maybe people said happy Mother's Day to you this morning and you're like, I don't really think this day is happy. I would, I'm excited for Monday for the first time all year. <laughs> Sorry. And the Lord remembers you. He's saying, if this metaphor is lost on you, I'm telling you that I will go the extra mile, that even these will forget. There is story after story of, of abuse and neglect that haunt history. And the Lord is saying that, I'm sorry that they have forgotten you, but I will not forget. I'm sorry that they have mistreated you, but I will not mistreat you. And verse 16, it ends with this, this dynamic image. If you could, if you could just, just picture it in your mind's eye, just do the work to kind of form this before you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. And he's speaking to Zion. He's speaking to the holy city, Jerusalem. Your walls are always before me. He's saying, how can I forget you? I wrote you down. I, 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 I etched it into my flesh. And for Jews of the time, it's like, wow, what a, what a gross picture. But for us, generations and generations later, we picture Jesus easily. We're like, of course. He literally took scars and scourging into his own hands. Not because he's a glutton for punishment, not because it was something that he said he would do, so he had to do it. Because of joy, because of love, because of you. And for his own glory. So right in the middle of this hopeful reprise is, is Zion responding honestly. And we, we join with their, their response and saying, like, Lord, I get it. I've, I've intellectually ascended to your, like, whatever, overwhelming, impossible, reckless love, whatever. I've, I've heard the song. I've heard the sermon. But I just feel far away. And the Lord replies with tenderness and with love. And can you imagine, after, what is it, 13 verses of saying, I'm, not, I'm never going to forget you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything. I'm going to fight every battle. I'm going to do all these things. If it were this assumed fatherly discipline God, not that God doesn't discipline, but he could rightly say, how dare you? Get over yourself. Grow up. I just told you I'm going to do it, so trust that I'm going to do it. But that's not how he replies. He replies with love and patience, and he replies with this example of a mother. And maybe it's always worked out, but that's not enough to say, like, I'm okay. 
Have you ever been in that place where you've, you've experienced loss and you're mourning? It doesn't have to be like the end of the earth, super serious stuff, but maybe you're upset about something and nobody else relates to it. And people are like, everything happens for a reason. Cool. Fun. Great. I, that makes me feel so much better to know that God did this to me. Great. But what the Lord is saying, I will never forget you. He's not making excuses for suffering. He's saying, I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to be with you. And, and I think this image is kind of like a melody, so to speak, that repeats in the Bible really often. And I think there are a lot of examples of this sort of, uh, this sort of foreshadow, if you, if you can relate to the image of a shadow. If, if you were putting the Lord in the middle of this room and there were lights shining in every direction, you'd see all these different shadows pointing. And you could look at the shadow and be like, this is what he looks like. This is kind of what he, what he seems like, but it's not the whole picture because you're not looking directly at him. And the Bible, the Old Testament, is full of these shadows. Or in theology, we call them types. They're pictures. They're little glimpses. They're little hints about what God is up to and who he is. And this, this example of a mother is used all the time. And we love David, right? David defeating Goliath. It's a type of Christ. The, the Hananiah, Azariah, uh, Mishael in the, in the fiery furnace, and we see a fourth man in the fire. Oh, that's a type of Christ. Yes. But this example of a mother is actually used really frequently. And I have this, I have this message and I absolutely 100% ripped it off of someone else, so forgive me. Someday I'll preach it, and you'll all be really grateful, and I'll give complete credit to the guy that came up with it. Maybe he ripped it off of someone else. I don't know. But it was really important for me. But if you guys remember Tamar and Judah from Genesis, if you don't remember them, good. Like, it's an awful story. It's a painful, brutal story of mistreatment, laws and traditions being broken, sexual immorality. It's gross. But in the end of it, there is this triumph where Tamar, this woman who's not from Israel, this woman who is not a practicing Jew, is considered righteous above everyone else. And so much so that when Matthew writes down the genealogy of Jesus, he includes this Gentile woman. That when Ruth and Boaz are, are married, the blessing saying over Ruth is, may you be righteous like Tamar. Surely you're not talking about Tamar from the worst chapter of the Bible, like are you talking about her? And you can think of Hagar and Esther, and you can think of Bathsheba and all these other examples of women that though they were marginalized and mistreated, have, have blazed forward in the narrative of the Lord. And there's something that's so compassionate and so dear that the Lord remembers these people, that the Lord celebrates these people. But again, I'm very prone to long-winded ramblings. And so... Today is not that day. Maybe another day. Maybe, maybe that's a YouTube video, not, not, a, not a Sunday morning. So over the last few years, the Lord has challenged me specifically in, in two respects. Number one is that I would see the Bible as the large narrative that, that weaves together all of history into the story of God. And number two is that I would communicate that story in a way that isn't just trying to do general swaths and broad strokes, but I would be able to look at people in the eye and communicate the truth specifically with intentionality and brevity. 
that the process that that takes would, would, would um, be uh, um, an obligation to me for that, those roots to grow deep that I wouldn't just try and tell you the general story and expect something to change suddenly. And maybe that doesn't make sense right now, um, but I'm not going to unpack that. That's just for you to know as we go forward. So here's an example of the gigantic meta-narrative, but also the specific personal heart of God. So if you have your Bible, look at Luke chapter 1. I too am going to flip there. It's in the New Testament. If you don't know where it is, don't be embarrassed. It is new after all. That's a joke. Just kidding. I heard somebody else say that. I thought that was really funny. Anyways, Luke. It will be on the screen too, so don't stress about it. I just want to read this little chunk, starting in verse 46. Our our context, where we're at now, is um, this very significant, uh, really climax of human history has just taken place, where Mary, this obscure teenager from a really small village in what is Galilee of the Gentiles, that is Nazareth, she is visited by an archangel, the same archangel that visited Daniel in the book of Daniel. This guy comes up to her and tells her good news of great joy that she is pregnant and she's going to bear the son of God. Which, I mean, news of pregnancy is always interpreted differently depending on your point of view. Um, but for her, she's, she's engaged. In, in the ancient world, uh, engagement, betrothal is a legal contract. It's not just like they're talking about someday maybe they'll get married. They are legally bound to each other even though they haven't consummated their marriage. So she's saying, uh, what? How does this work? Like, I don't know how it works with angels, but with people, there's a deed that needs to be done. And I have done no such deed. And my husband is, is counting on my, my chastity, so to speak. And, and what do you mean I'm going to bear a child? Uh, what are you talking about? This is not the right time for this sort of activity. And the archangel assures her, you've found favor with the Lord. The Lord has blessed you. Uh, really? Because <laughs> this is a pretty unique scenario. This has never happened before. I don't have any in all of my, my Torah readings that my father brought into our home. I've never heard a story like this. What do you mean the Lord has blessed me? The favor of the Lord is on me. He's like, you're going to, this isn't just a kid. This is the kid. This is the savior of the world. This is Emmanuel. This is God with man. That he'll rightly be called the son of God. And maybe if it were me and I was visited by an angel and he told me, this is what the Bible's been talking about. Maybe if it were me, I would feel like, sweet, that's awesome. An angel, who'd have thunk it? This sounds like a Stan story, like an angel, that's amazing. But there's something, and and forgive me for for reaching, I don't want to misrepresent the scripture by any means, that is something that I'm deeply convicted about, but there's something uh, in Mary that maybe, 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 that's not enough. (laughs) Because you're talking about uh, some, some hardship that's going to go on in my physical body for some sort of spiritual, infinite possibility. And I love it because what the angel does, and I think it's wisdom from God, 
is he assures her with another assurance. Beyond the favor of God, beyond the promise of Jesus, he assures her, you actually have a relative that is going through something similar. And she's like, really? Old, old lady Lizzie? She's, she's pregnant? I mean, I knew they were devout, but they've been trying to have babies for a long time. She's old. That's awesome. Praise God. And so she decides, like, well, I'm going to go visit her. I'm going to go spend some time with my cousin who's experiencing something similar to me. And they have this beautiful exchange where uh, Mary walks into the room and immediately the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb recognizes Jesus, the Messiah. And I mean, I don't know. That's a, that's a good prayer. If you want to have kids someday, that's a good prayer. That in the womb, it says John the baptizer was filled with the Holy Spirit. And could recognize Jesus when the experts at the law who had studied, given their lives to studying the scriptures didn't recognize him. It, in utero, John recognized him. And immediately Elizabeth knew what was going on and she blessed God and she thanked Mary. And they had this wonderful exchange that sounds theological and clinical. And we can draw all the arrows and the lines and make a chart out of it. But it was two women who are kind of scared, who are kind of shocked who God has done something for them, but it's, it's so mysterious and strange that they're able to relate around the person of Jesus. What a blessing. And Mary responds by singing a song. And, uh, and don't think Disney movie, this is pretty typical for their, their hour of history, that they would praise God. And she actually draws heavily from the Old Testament. She draws heavily from scriptures. Her song kind of sounds like another woman in the Old Testament, her name was Hannah, who got like a chapter and a half of attention, but her devotion to God literally changed the, the way that the, the people of God would relate to him forever, that she prayed that she would have a son even though she couldn't, and God heard her prayer and her desperation and gave her a son named Samuel. That changed the way that people related to God because they didn't relate to God just through judges or through occasional um, interpretations, but they now related to God through the prophet, through the oracle of God, through his very word. And so she draws a lot from, from Hannah's song. That's not in my notes. Forgive me. We're going to get there. 46, and Mary said, my soul exalts in the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon every generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their thoughts of their heart. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. And he has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy." as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And this is a good story. This is the story we read around Christmas. This is the story that we read when we want to remember that Jesus was born. And we like to fast forward from Mary getting the good news of Jesus. We like to fast forward to Jesus on the cross. What a good word. That, that the Lord could take a vulnerable obscure teenage girl and make her the house of the Lord, to make her the vehicle for something that was immaterial in promise and make it physical in flesh. 
And he did it. And it's, and it's, it's a means to rejoice. But can you imagine the in-between? Jesus didn't start preaching the kingdom until he was 30 years old. That meant Mary, in the language of the Bible, was treasuring this in her heart for decades. Obviously, Jesus was different. You know, like when the other kids were messing around. Can you imagine being Jesus' brothers? Why can't you be more like your older brother? This is not fair. He's different. Obviously, he's different. No wonder, like the Gospels say that his brothers, uh, namely uh, James, who was probably named Jacob, and Jude, who was probably named Judah, um, they didn't follow him. They actually teased him. They didn't like him. And I mean, why would they? <laughs> like, it's like, you're literally perfect. This is not fair. And it wasn't until Jesus ascended that we see the hearts of his brothers change. But she's offered comfort. And, and I think it's easy to look at this in the grand, that, that's, that's where I was getting, excuse me. When we look at this and we fast forward to Jesus on the cross, we fast forward to maybe the miraculous works of Jesus, we fast forward to his resurrection or his second coming, um, we, are, we are rightly identifying the greater narrative. That Jesus said himself, all these stories in the Old Testament were all foreshadowing and developing this theme that I will make plain and clear in myself. That I can explain myself through the whole library of scripture that I can communicate clearly who I am. And it's easy for us to maybe do, do the, the big part of the bridge, so to speak. But there's something that undergirds the great meta-narrative of the scripture. And it is countless stories of God actually personally relating to people. That there was no reason for Mary to think that her life would amount to greatness. She was going to be like her mom and her mom's mom. All the conditions of her life were, were telling her one story. And that story was, just survive. Because they had been under the hostile regime of the Roman Empire probably Mary's entire life. The man that she was going to be married to actually comes from the line of David, the line of kings. But there was no security. He was a laborer. <laughs> he didn't work in, he wasn't a magistrate. He didn't have authority. He probably didn't have a lot of property. He was from the same obscure village that she was from. Even though by, by rights of genealogy, he should have been the king. He was just a slave like everyone else. That's like, what a weird time to come. Israel is not operating on the world stage in this hour of history. Israel is not commanding military strength. They've got like a couple rogue dagger guys that are trying to kill Roman centurions whenever they have the chance, but they're not affecting change. And the Lord says, I'm with you. To Israel, who, who cries out, God, deliver us. As they did when they were with Assyria, as they did when they were in Babylon, as they did when they were in Egypt. They're crying out, God, deliver us. And in the strangest, most weird way, God does. And not only to the nation of Israel, but also to this little family. I don't know, you guys, if Joseph ever thought about that. That's something that we know now because of the way Matthew wrote about it and these sort of things. But can you imagine if that ever crossed his mind while he was like woodworking, or, or a lot of people believe he worked with stone, which is, I think, probably worse than wood. <laughs> it's a lot harder, uh, physically harder. And as he's working his, his father's trade, do you think he ever thought, like, man, what, what things would have been different if the, the Maccabees won? 
<laughs> if they if they had uh, made it through, like if if maybe kings of the past had pre- prepared better, what, what things would have been different? My life would be a lot different now, probably. I don't know if you ever thought that, so don't take that to like, don't write a book about that. I don't know if you ever thought that, but I think about it. And so he he reaches his proverbial arms around this little tiny family of nobodies and says, I'm with you. I heard the secret pleas of your heart where you feel like I've forgotten you and you don't know what the hope is for the future. But with, with Mary and Joseph, he says, I remember you. And he continues to guide them and he continues to, to wall up their breaches. He, he directs them when, when the, the magistrates of the hour are going to murder tons and tons of babies, he tells them, now's a good time to take a, an extended vacation. Have you ever been to Egypt? You should check it out. Because things are about to get really serious. Can you imagine the tenderness and the compassion of the Lord? So the, the story of the Immaculate Conception is not just a story of God bringing Jesus to earth. It is that story. And we should celebrate that. But it's also the testimony of the Lord of the universe coming near to a vulnerable family in a vulnerable time. That's still our story. That's still us today. When we feel weak and we feel far from God, God is still reaching down and reminding us, did I forget about Mary? Did I forget about what I said to her? And I love this because we are going to fast forward to Jesus on the cross because this is a scene that just absolutely blows my mind. We read it in Deeper Project a couple weeks ago, but it's just so incredible. Because like I said, there's decades happening here where, where Jesus is growing and learning and, and being mothered and being fathered. And somewhere in the mix, Joseph passes away. We don't really get a, re- a record of that, but we understand Excuse me. By the time Jesus is on the scene, his dad isn't present, and mom is actually being taken care of by Jesus. That she pops up in scene after scene where she's just along with the gang, like she's just hanging out, and, and his brothers and sisters are there, and they're kind of following Jesus around. And Jesus is the firstborn, so in the ancient Near East, it was his responsibility to take care of the family in replacement of his father. And so we see in the very last moments of Jesus' incarnate life, he turns to his mother. Look at this in John 19. We're, we're filling up, he's checking off the boxes of prophetic fulfillment, and he's doing all the things that he's supposed to do, and John takes careful attention to say, like, he did this to fulfill this scripture. You can go cross-reference it. You can go look it up. He did it for this reason, and then in verse 26, he said, when Jesus then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. And after this, Jesus, knowing all things had already been accomplished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I am thirsty. So he would take the sponge of sour wine and he would surrender his spirit to God and he would say it is finished. But just take a moment and rewind for a moment with me. He's, he's narrowing down. He's like, all right, we're getting the job done. John, who we understand is the disciple who Jesus loved, is writing it down. He's paying attention. He's there. All the other disciples are who knows where, but John is there, and he's paying attention. He's listening so that he can write it down so that we know what was going on and the way it related in history, and we can have confidence, and we can have apologetics, and we can debate with people. But in this moment, Jesus is like, we're almost finished here. So before we go, I need to remind my mother about the promise she received decades ago. I need to remind her that I remember her. And we can probably inflate this like, 
Church traditions have made all kinds of nonsense out of this, but I think what we can assuredly say is that Jesus saw his mom in the crowd and it's like, I need to make sure somebody's going to take care of her. <laughs> and the biggest slight is that Jesus' brothers and sisters were probably there. And he's like, these guys are going to cut it. <laughs> I can't trust these guys to take care of my mom. I hope one day they'll believe in me. But right now they're, they're lost. <laughs> it's like they're unregenerate sinners and I can't trust, uh, I can't trust uh, James with, with my mom. So John, the one who I love, you need to take care of her. She's your, she's your mother now. And I just think about this. From decades earlier when an angel appeared while she was alone, no one else was there to verify the story. It was just her and, and the presence of God. And she was met with this word like, your life is going to change forever. This is going to not only mark your physical body, but this is going to change the world but know that you are blessed and you have found favor with God. And I'm sure while giving birth to the incarnate Messiah, she didn't feel like God was giving favor to her. She probably felt like, ow, ouch, what? <laughs> I was there for my children being born and it was not a miraculous scene. It was a scary, messy scene, you know? And, and in that moment, the Lord overwhelmed me to not be queasy and, and we, we made it through. I say we, I did, I cried, I didn't do anything. I sat there and cried with a fan on Shelby. But I just love this because Jesus, before he wraps up this entire stage of history, he finds his mom and reminds her. And it's so significant that they wrote it into the scripture. I remember you. That those words that I said to you were not just for everybody else to hear. It was for you. That this image of your love, this image of your patience is significant. Can you imagine Jesus at 12 years old being separate from his family? They're traveling with this caravan and Jesus is sitting asking questions to the scribes in the temple and amazing them with his knowledge at 12 years old. Can you imagine somebody who has been more frustrated with Jesus? We went to the Museum of Natural History and Arrow was just on cloud nine. He could not contain himself. He was having so much fun and he just ran. And my kids have never done that. They've never been like running off sort of kids. They're very attached to us. We, we, we are close to one another, but he just took off. And in that moment, a good day turned into an angry day for dad. And I was like, I'm going to put you on a leash if you don't stop doing that. I will take you home. Your birthday is canceled if you don't stop doing that. And can you imagine, they're like a day away, and Mary looks around and she's like, where is Jesus? Where did he go? And then she finds him in the temple, and he's like, wouldn't you know that I'm about my father's business? And you have to understand, there's purity in what Jesus is saying, because he really is all about his father's business. And he knew that even as a preteen. But can you imagine the pain that that would feel as a mother? <laughs> Excuse me? How about you're all about listening to your mom? How about that? Can you imagine? Okay, this is a crazy story. Okay, the wedding at Cana, are you familiar? If you're not, I'll, I'll summarize it quickly. Um, Jesus and all of his disciples were invited to this wedding. He has yet to perform any signs. He has yet to really preach a formal message. And, and apparently, like, her, her kind of side hustle is organizing weddings and helping with weddings. Now, she is, is helping with this wedding, and apparently too many people came to the wedding, and they drank all the wine too fast which is like, 
For some people, that sounds like a great wedding. For some people, this sounds like an awful wedding. And um, as she comes up to Jesus, knowing something is different about him, knowing that this word that an angel gave her decades ago was true, and she's like, we're out of wine. He's like, woman, what do you expect me to do? And she's like, is there, is there something you can do? Because you can do things, right? He says, woman, it's not my time. Oh, imagine your son saying, woman, what? And Mary, in this blessed promise of God, in the favor and the blessing of the Lord, she turns to the servants and she's like, do whatever he tells you to do. It's like, stop it. Listen to him. And then somewhere in that transition of those moments between, woman, it's not my time to do whatever he tells you to do, it became his time. <laughs> and his mother was a part of that story. And it's like all of these events, all of these memories, everything that wasn't recorded and written down come to this moment where he says, you know what, I'm going away. And I told my disciples that it was to their advantage, but nobody relates to Jesus like Mary does. Nobody loved Jesus like Mary did. Can you imagine sitting in theological debates in the early church and Mary sitting there with John as they're debating the, the sonship of Jesus and the salvation of the Gentiles? And she's like, you know, the person you're talking about is my baby boy. You know, the person you're talking about, I carried in my own flesh. Can you imagine having her on your church leadership team? That would be insane. <laughs> so this story is a story of, of, of propitiation, right? This is a story of atonement. This is a story of a, of a once and for all Passover lamb dying. But it's also the story of a mother and a family and hurt and loss and blessing. And amidst age-ending prophetic insight, Jesus makes sure that he takes care of the woman who received the promise. And our minds can fly back to Isaiah 49, where it's like, this is the love of God. This is what God is actually like. And so we can get it misconstrued and confused, but the point is that the Lord actually does love the whole world, and that actually does overlap with you. That sometimes it's easy to think, of course God loves everyone, but he actually loves you. That he filled his scripture with these stories. One of my favorite stories is, is Hagar, the, the Egyptian maidservant of Abraham and Sarah. That she was essentially, forgive me for the children in the room, she was essentially sexually abused by her, her masters. And then God's like, no, that's not what I told you to do. That's not the point. And so she's released and she's, she's wandering pregnant and alone. And the Lord finds her, chases her down. And her revelation of the Lord in that moment, you really are the God who sees. And he gave her promises like he gave Isaac promises. I'm going to make nations out of you. Your, your sons are going to be like wild donkeys. And we really can't paint like Isaac and his descendants like they were all like upstanding gentlemen. So what can we say? And God is sovereign and he's getting his work done. He's getting his work done on the earth, but he's not just steamrolling over the oppressed and the vulnerable and the poor. That's what most of the world is made up of. You know, we can look at celebrity pastors and big major people of influence, but most of the world is vulnerable, confused people. And he's in the business of making people know that they are close to him. And I actually asked another mom in the church, a, a mom in, in multiple sense, like Tina has been our staff mom since we moved here. She's taking care of us. 
uh, and kept us straight. And uh, I, I can't say enough about Tina. And, and I, I can probably confidently say this church wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Tina and, and her, her mothering wings. And I think of, of Debbie. I asked Debbie to, to read our last passage for us. And Debbie has, has taken care of us in every season. I remember I told the church that I was going to like do a Daniel fast for an extended period of time. And Debbie went to the grocery store and bought me all the vegan food and all the protein that was plant-based and probably spent a good amount of money. And I was like, you did not have to do this. I was going to eat kale for three months. And she's like, you'll die. <laughs> so um, Debbie, if you wouldn't mind coming up here and, and we're going to close with Romans 5. Yeah, they're my kids. They're my grandkids. They're my substitute great-grandkids because mine are far away. But Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good one someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.